This is the Rubber Soul Panel Podcast, spotlighting the commentary used in the public radio documentary, Isn't It Good? The Beatles' Rubber Soul, an in-depth exploration of the Beatles' landmark 1965 album, Rubber Soul. The entire program can be heard on your public radio station if they carry it, feel free to ask them to, or online at the public radio exchange, prx.org. That's prx.org. I'm Paul Ingalls, host and producer of the show. If you signed up for our free podcast, we hope you enjoy it and at least stick around at its end to hear about how to make a tax-deductible donation to a nonprofit radio organization that produces a program we think the Beatles would have dug and that it explores peace and love. More on that in a minute, but here's this episode of the Rubber Soul Panel Podcast. I'm sorry, sometimes I feel less than useless at these sessions. I really do. Mm. Of course, Cynthia understands. I often talk to her about it when we get home. Mm. I say, sometimes, you know, Cynthia, I just can't get the note. In my life, I think, is, is the perfect composition. If you were to rank the Beatles' greatest compositions, not performances, but greatest compositions, I would put that way high on the list. I think that song is really beautiful, both uh, in terms of its sentiment uh, as delivered through the lyric and its construction. In my life, was buried on this second side of the, uh, on the album, you know. It was kind of maybe they weren't sure how people were going to take this. John had a friend, a British journalist named Ken Alsop, and John Lennon had just published a book called In His Own Right with some of John's uh, funny stories. He was, he was a very talented writer in the style of a Lewis Carroll. And Ken Alsop said to John, why don't you write some lyrics that are more sophisticated? You, you clearly can write. And so John set to work and decided he would write something very personal about growing up. And he started out writing something which he later called a travelogue. Uh, the lyrics exist today, and they talk about Penny Lane long before uh, McCartney wrote about it. And they talk about the Liverpool clock tower and Docker's umbrella and all these places in Liverpool. And Lennon wisely looked at that lyric and said, well, this is, this is like a travelogue. No one else is going to relate to this. And he took a step back, and instead of talking about all these specific places, he talked about places I remember. And instead of talking about specific people, you know, he talked about friends who are dead, friends who are living, and that made it much more uh, relatable uh, to other people and made that lyric so wonderful. Every songwriter wants to have that song that becomes part of uh, the milestones in, in the lives of many, many people. But in my life, I don't know how many millions of, of yearbook Photos have had a quote from that. How many millions of retrospective montages at at funerals, even at weddings, at high school graduations. And it's the simplicity of that song, I think, that still gets me. And in a weird way, it's the humility of In My Life that I think really makes it continue to work as a song that so many can take into their own lives, you know. And then in the end, it's just a song about how this one kind of love, and the love isn't really named, right? I mean, we assume, because it's the Beatles, that it's the love of a woman, uh, but it really, it could be the love of a parent for a child, or a child for a parent, or of a football teammate for another teammate. You know, it's it's something that I think, again, like, like so many great songs, uh, help us imagine our lives, imagine the past of our lives, and imagine what we've done and who we've loved as a story that we can just walk right into 
and fill with our own characters. And it's really profound that way, even though sometimes it can seem a little, a little corny. So I still treasure in my life. That is one of the songs Lennon and McCartney disagreed on who wrote it. And uh, clearly the lyric is Lennon's. No, there's no dispute about that and that the bulk of the song is Lennon's. But McCartney uh, claims he contributed to the melody. And it is a very uh, McCartney-esque uh, melody, if you will. Um, so McCartney certainly had an influence over all the Beatles' music. And I would say Lennon, to a large extent, had the same. They were, they were always contributing. So you, you can't say this was 100% Lennon. Um, and so maybe, maybe it was McCartney who pushed him to make the lyrics more general, but it certainly became something that John, uh, uh, John did moving forward. John Lennon was probably about 25 when he was writing these songs, but these guys had old souls. You know, They were writing songs as if they were 80 years old, looking back on their life, and they, they really expressed uh, a lot of deep feelings. And I think In My Life goes a long way in doing that. It's interesting. They could have gone a number of different routes as far as the orchestration and and uh, the rhythm, especially what Ringo chose to do. Instead of you know just like a regular four four beat, he sets up um, you know it's boom bop doom bop doom. It's kind of like the beat that he did on Anna on one of their first albums. You know, way in the beginning. It just sort of lifts that song up and you know brings it out of the old normal uh, four four type of situation. The middle part of this song has that baroque sounding piano. It sounds like a harpsichord almost. When I was a kid and I I, I loved uh, in my life. I remember sort of sitting down and trying to to learn the piano solo, and it was incredibly frustrating. You know, it's really difficult, uh, basically just because the right hand and the left hand are doing very different things at the same time, and it's 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 kind of easy to play one hand uh, to play the the right hand part by itself or the left hand part by itself, but to play the two together at the speed they are in the record is is virtually impossible and it was really frustrating for me until i found out that on the record uh the solo which is played by george martin who produced the record uh he recorded the right hand first and then he overdubbed the left hand and both were recorded at half speed so that he could uh play it very slowly uh so he played each part separately an octave lower uh, than he wanted it to sound, knowing that when the tape was sped up to regular speed, the the notes would be an octave higher and, and twice as fast. So when you hear the solo, it just sounds like this kind of flawless piano technique, but it's really uh, a trick. But it's just another example of George Martin, his major contributions that he would make to the Beatles sound. I don't like George Martin's um, solo. I think it detracts from a really beautiful, sentimental tune. You know, you get into the blues nature of it. You, there's a lot of kind of bluesy chords. There's a, a major seventh chord with an added ninth passing tone on I Know I'll Often Stop and Think About Them. But even better is the most gorgeous, unexpected D minor seven chord on the title line, In My Life, I Love You More. 
And that uses tricks from the blues that turn an already powerful lyric into a poignant, yearning musical statement. I mean, D minor has no place in a piece whose tonal center is A major. So to have that chord appear at the right moment to accentuate the title of the piece is genius. And that musical moment with the unexpected D minor is also one of the key moments in the piece where there's only one voice singing. And so the decision to have that section as a solo really helps to paint the text and express that those words are very much from the lead singer's viewpoint in my life. There are places I remember A, a doo-woppy falsetto at the very end when he sings in my life and it, it, it certainly have come, could have come from Smokey Robinson who Lennon adored uh, some of the other Motown or soul stars that they listened to so uh, but yes you know Paul would typically be the one who sang those high notes so that was a little unusual having John do it I heard a lot of Roy Orbison in that song. I mean, having written a book on Roy Orbison and knowing that the Beatles spent time with Roy Orbison, John was looking, uh, you know, to express something on a more mature level. Orbison was really the first of his generation back in the late 50s to really, really delve deep into psychology and into emotion and all of that. And the melody of the song has a real kind of Orbison quality to it, almost like Blue Bayou or something like that. And there's a melancholy, of course, to the song. In My Life strikes me as a song that, you know, kind of looks forward in a way to Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane. These songs of premature nostalgia, you know, nostalgia by someone in his mid-twenties, you know, for you know, what seemed to be a vanished life already, you know, the, the world of, um, childhood, the world of early experiences, the world of a kind of innocence before fame came, before complexity came or seemed to come, you know, that, that sense that you're looking back and somehow your own past holds an allure for you. Before that, you were always looking ahead you know, I think certainly the Beatles, where are we going, John, you know, to the toppermost of the poppermost, you know, that, that sense of wanting to achieve something and wanting to get somewhere and what's the next thing. And finally, kind of coming to something like the limits of that, you know, like everything ahead isn't so great. And everything that we had wasn't so bad. And, you know, there were things lost. There's blood on the tracks here. There's, there's stuff left behind. And, you know, I think that's what In My Life is about. You know, there's uh, a sense in which, you know, the emotions of the past, the experiences of the past have a value that might not have been possible to recognize, you know, even a year before. Lots of comments from our panel on this one. Rolling Stone Magazine's Anthony DeCurtis there talking about In My Life, along with Beatle writers Scott Fryman and John Cruth, too, all after we heard the song. Before the song, Jim Fusilli called it the perfect Beatle composition. We 
heard John Cruth again and Scott Fryman with some of the history of the song. NPR's Ann Powers talked about the ubiquity of the song over time. New Mexico musician Rob Martinez in there too. Musician B.J. Lederman talking about Ringo's uh, distinctive drum sound. John Spurney had some comments about how George Martin got that harpsichordy piano sound. And music instructor Sara Anhara Schaefer-Jones had that composition analysis for us too. Copyright restrictions prevent us from using more than just a few seconds of Beatles music in this documentary work on the podcast, but obviously you can hear the music in this special online at the Public Radio Exchange, prx.org. That's prx.org, or on your local public radio station, or of course on your own copy of Rubber Soul, available for purchase everywhere you'd expect. If you're digging the podcast, we're going to ask you to visit another site online to show your appreciation. And that's peacetalksradio.com, peacetalksradio.com. And consider making a tax-deductible donation in any amount to help support another radio program that explores peace and love. It's the only series about peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. Let me be clear that the Beatles have not endorsed it formally, although we once got an email from Ringo Starr's management complimenting us on the work. And Yoko Ono was interviewed for a Peace Talks radio episode about her and John's peace work. So it's a good project to help to show your appreciation for this free podcast. Again, visit peacetalksradio.com and consider making a donation. And enjoy the rest of the series, The Rubber Soul Panel Podcast. I'm Paul Ingalls.